0: Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care. My name is Anne Garten, and I am the host of this podcast. And I am so excited to have our guest with us, Anne McLinn from Tapestry Farms. Anne and I go back a bit now, uh, as I am also on the board of Tapestry Farms. I want to put that out there. Uh, but I have left you for many years since we started that. Uh, let's start first with a little bit about yourself, Uh, And then we'll go into what Tapestry Farms is. But let's start with yourself.
1: Sure. Um, My name is Anne, and I uh, grew up on a farm in uh, Clinton County, Iowa, which is relevant um, a little bit down the line. Went to the University of Iowa, became a journalist, was in journalism for a time, and decided that um, I wanted to move into, instead of writing about things happening in our community, I wanted to do some things in our community. So I went into communications for a time and worked at St. Paul Lutheran Church most recently and met a refugee family there. And long story short, they inspired the founding of Tapestry Farms. I live in Davenport with my husband and my two almost totally grown kids and my cat, Gilda.
0: I love it. And I love it because at some point we intersected. Uh, I had just come back from the uh, camps. They were considered migrant-slash-refugee camps in Calais, France. And I had presented at St. Paul's Mm -hmm. about our trip and what I had done there and the work that so many people were doing with refugees that were not able to even identify as refugees legally, right? Um, And so... That's when our story came together, uh, because you showed up in my office here at St. Ambrose and said, I have an idea. Do you want to be a part of it? And I am so excited to be a part of it still. Five, oh, it's more than five years. We just started our seventh year. year. (laughs) Yeah, Uh right? Seven years later, right? Um, So let's go into what your vision
1: was for Tapestry Farms at the beginning and where we are now. Yeah, I think the vision is still the same. There's a lot of logistics that have um, changed over time, but the vision has always been that we would provide um, longer-term supports for a smaller number of refugee families in our community, mostly families who face more significant barriers. So maybe they never had access to education either in their home country or in their refugee camp. Maybe they have significant medical issues or um, is, you know, is a family that's led by a single parent with lots of kids. It can be a variety of of reasons that they face barriers Um, and that we would work with them for as long as they wished us to be around. Mostly we do work with families from East and Central Africa. We've started working with families from Afghanistan, um, and then we've added in a few other countries along the way. But we also learned that, especially families coming um, from East and Central Africa, that they bring knowledge of growing food with them that often It has to be put away for at least a time because they live in an apartment where they can't grow a garden or a house where they can't till up the lawn. So um, we decided that um, we would also grow food. Um, Also knowing that our community faces hunger like many other communities in the country, but... um, access to fresh produce when you have limited income is sometimes hard. So we merged all of that together at the very beginning and filed the paperwork in June of 2017. Um, So that vision has always been the same. Again, logistics have changed. You know, we have an office space now and we have eight plots where we're growing food and We're probably going to get a a large-scale hydroponics unit sometime within the next six months or so that will allow us to grow year-round. And we've met people from different countries than we anticipated. We never anticipated meeting a lot of people from Afghanistan, but that's what has happened. And so the details have changed, but the vision is still the same.
0: I think, too, we started out with the vision of um, helping women become self-reliant, mm-hmm. right? We even, we even changed that part of know. our vision because we recognized that uh, a lot of the, the, the men or um, others, right, have struggled in where they were. In, and a lot of that, I think, is important for us to kind of have that conversation around is the why. We know most people would understand language barrier, Sure. Right? Absolutely. Most people would um, uh, say that uh, it's difficult to get a job for you and I who speak English. So it may mm-hmm. be more difficult for them. What other barriers do you see that that they're facing that we're supporting?
1: Yeah, I think you know when a when an individual lives in a refugee camp and then they come to the United States as a refugee, there are so many services that are available to them and they just don't know that. You don't know what you don't know. And so I think that is one of the most significant barriers of all. Um, And then throw in that language barrier or the cultural barriers that exist, and it just makes it virtually impossible. So sometimes people will say, well, what, what do you dream of? Well, I dream of a day when any refugee who speaks any language or comes from any culture is able to walk into any of our organizations or institutions without one of us from tapestry farms or another one of the social service agencies in our community and that they would be able to fully access services that um, they are eligible to receive. Refugees are here at the invitation of the United States government, so they have access to everything. So the barriers are many, um, transportation and even just learning the bus system. I have a master's degree and sometimes it's hard for me to be able to get someone from point A to point B on a bus system. So. I think that's our big dream is that someday people won't need us because the community has built its infrastructure so that anyone can access any service at all.
0: I love that because that's what the Institute is aiming for, right? No matter whether you're a refugee or one of our own community members. I mean, I think about times where I have filled out paperwork for healthcare or education or what have you, and I have a doctorate degree. And sometimes struggle with the links aren't working, or the you know, and yeah. and so how how can we best support anyone in that? But then even further, and looking at how can we be that much more person centered yeah. to to help sustain our most vulnerable. Yeah, right? I love to how you have partnered with organizations. And we don't have to go into who and what, but there are some organizations in our community that are, that are doing that. And I think um, celebrating them is key because it gives the others a model that mm-hmm. they can see. So anytime, if any listeners want to learn about those or what have you, reach out to us and we'll connect. But I think that's really important because a lot of times we put that barrier on ourselves. Well, that's not possible. If, if someone comes into my office and they don't speak the language, well, there are some organizations who have figured yes. that out, right? Uh, so I just want to highlight
1: highlight that that piece. And I would say for someone to start that, it just takes a spirit of curiosity. It doesn't take – you don't have to be hugely knowledgeable about what exactly to do or not to do. It just takes a spirit, a curiosity and wondering how, how could we do that and how could we do that better? Yeah.
0: I always love telling the story of resiliency and of curiosity that the refugee folks, our populations, our mm-hmm. you know, our community have. And the fantastic things that they go into and do and and support in our communities across this great nation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to give a shout-out to, I might even have a tear in my eye, uh, Dr. Omar, one of the best pediatricians in Mm -hmm. our community. He was a refugee twice, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, and no longer with us, hence the tear. But I also want to bring that up because – when we give folks opportunity, how fast they can fly. And we have a few who are just graduating high school. They're the first kids in, in their family who have graduated high school, right? And giving them the opportunity of education and so on. So you want to share any of the stories that you think are...
1: Yeah, a a couple of perspectives I'll offer on that. Um, First of all, um, I look at my own family history, my own ancestors who came here in the mid 1800s due to the potato famine. And one of my cousins is taking a really deep dive right now into those stories. And a couple of weeks ago, he figured out that one of my ancestors was illiterate, didn't know how to read or write when he came to this country. And so now you fast forward 170 years later, or whatever, and um, you know you look at my life, and I think about um, those two brothers who came who came across, and they weren't designated as refugees, but they they were refugees. Correct. So. but you mentioned a couple of high school kids that we have, and one that in particular that we were talking about. Oh, now I might cry earlier. Um, as we speak right now, he's at Scott Community College signing up for college classes. When I met him in November of 2018, um, he had limited English. Um, he had been to school in his refugee camp, but Through care and love and compassion and education and all of those good things, you know, he's now looking at at going to college and he has lots of people who love and support him. And I think if anything the The hope I have is that every refugee family who comes to the quad cities will have the love and care and compassion and social capital that it takes to to completely rebuild your life in a in a totally different culture. So when we think of the kids like we're thinking of, um, that that's what I hope for.
0: I love that. I can remember him when I first met him, he got into my truck and it was the first time he'd been in a truck, he and his brother. And I can't tell you how many questions I mm-hmm. answered about mm-hmm. the truck, right? Cause mm-hmm. they'd not seen something like that per se in, right. in their camps and, and how they've, how they've grown. And, and, uh, and, uh, I look forward to see where they, where they mm-hmm. end up. Right. I, uh, Oh boy, this is going to be a spot you're going to have to cut out because Andrew has got them. Wow. <laughs> sorry, Dave. <laughs> Just totally edit. went blank, and I don't normally do that. Ask him. Wow. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> now I'm going to have to get my composure. It's the editing composure. section. Uh, right? Um, okay, where are we? where are we the We're talking talk, Okay, where, where are we going to go? Um, sorry, that totally is bad.
1: Can we talk about, like, um, the importance of growing food? and? Yes,
0: I was going to talk about c- cultural humility. And, yes. and as a result, we can get yes. into food from yep. there. There yeah, we go. Yes, perfect. Can start anytime. Okay. Let's move forward on cultural humility because we all can work on that, right? Even those yeah. of us who work on it daily know we can work on that. And I think... A lot of times, our communities think well they're coming into our culture, they need to totally come into our culture, and you and I would say, "No, why can't we celebrate their culture right and in one way, we do through tapestry farms with food, so we can get into that but what what would you also add on the cultural humility piece
1: yeah i um I think I'll just take my own experiences of learning about um Uh, other cultures through all of this is I know I have learned a lot um, and I still have a lot more to learn but I've learned a lot about um, how to be in community the United States is a very individualistic um, society and Um, Many of the countries that people we serve come from are are more communal. And so learning what that looks like and but also, you know, the joy of um, cooking all of the time when you walk into a home and there's always something on the stove always and um, being offered Um, food. Last night I was at a family's house from Afghanistan and I had gone there for very specific duty. I was there to help fill out some paperwork, but um, first we eat. And it was 10 minutes of eating some meat kebabs, but we got to talk a little bit about our lives. And so just learning that slowing down and and so in terms of cultural humility if each one of us could learn one or two things from a different culture and take that into our own lives um i just think that that's so important and there's so many wonderful things that people who come from cultures outside of the united states bring bring to
0: well, our and I community. think when we do that, we learn so much about ourselves yep. and our neighbors who we don't think look so different from us, truthfully, because right. so many of us came from so many different cultures, right? Right. And then we have better uh, practices around empathy, around understanding, around communication. Uh, so I think for anybody, it is a hmm. great way to
1: self-grow. Yeah absolutely
0: I love the food part because it does make you slow down right we think it's uh-huh. all about the food but it really is about the connection with people and I I I for folks who don't know my mom is an immigrant herself and and food when I go overseas to visit family is key I, I can go into a home and the the farm table is yep. full waiting for me, right? Yep. And it's the way to connect with others. Right, And I love that uh, Tapestry Farms has used that avenue to grow, to become sustainable, to support others, not only the refugees, but our own community. So they're giving back into the community, mm-hmm. right? Yep, and I think the fact that uh, you hire the refugees uh-huh. at, at a, a living wage, uh-huh. right, as close as we can, yeah, and and we we support them in doing what they love to do, right, and are good at it, right, right. So the, it gives them those small successes that then they can push forward and go to college, right, or learn the English, right, learn how to drive, yep. Mm-hmm. because I got to go water down on eighths right? <laughs> right yep gotta
1: go water the plots That's, yeah yeah the other night we were harvesting cabbages and um Chantal who's one of our staff members was with us and I I'm still not super great at growing food I'm getting better but I'm not super great at it yet but Chantal knows and you. she knows when it's time to pick a cabbage and we have 300 cabbages growing right now and she was able to say yep cut that one nope leave that one yep cut that one And so, you know, that's taking her knowledge from growing up and being in the garden all of the time in a refugee camp in Uganda, growing food for her family, what cabbages are ready and what cabbages are not. And so then we delivered 85 cabbages to um, a food pantry run by St. Paul Lutheran. And um, so now people will be able to enjoy those cabbages that we, that we grew.
0: I love that. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win for everybody.
1: It is. Yeah.
0: So, I think one of the things
1: that I want to highlight as well
0: is you could always use volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your story. If what what do volunteers help with?
1: Yeah, so right now volunteers are weeding. We are weeding. You
0: need to call my kid. All Just sorts make of him weeding. Go weed.
1: <laughs> so, we we are not certified organic. We'll never be certified organic. We do use organic practices though. So, extremely limited chemicals hardly any actually um and so we do use some methods to try to curb those but ultimately um we still have to weed so right now it's all sorts of weeding um you we have food deliveries um from a food pantry that people can participate in Um, If people are available during the day, um, taking people to medical appointments, those sorts of things are definitely an option. And then sometimes we'll connect um, a volunteer with a specific family. And that for someone who is interested in a longer term relationship, um, that works pretty well. But if you're interested in a two-hour time spot on a Saturday morning or a Thursday evening weeding or harvesting, I, I, we've got you covered. Come Excellent. weed with us. Yes.
0: I love it. And I, I threw that in about my kid, but I will say my kid has volunteered for yes. you in the past. <laughs> yes, uh, Too fun. and And I think it's a great experience because, again, you're meeting them right where they're at right yeah. and, and trying to better understand so you're not only servicing and helping tapestry farms do what they do but you're right. also doing some really great work with some really cool people. Yeah I think one of the other things that I want to highlight is we say we, we will be with them for as long as they need. Mm-hmm but our goal is to help them become self-reliant, right? I really really want everybody to understand that and that we have folks who have become self-reliant. Oh, yeah, for for sure. sure.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So I like to say that we have three groups of people. We have a group of people that um, are in currently in a crisis or have just emerged from a crisis where we'll have more contact with them. Um, you know, last week, one of our, one of our moms had a baby and so we've been very with that family. Um, but now she'll go back to work and, you know, life will kind of return to a normal rhythm and and we won't be with them as much. We have kind of a middle group that, um, has you know maybe some um, chronic health conditions or just longer term very difficult situations that we'll probably have contact with maybe maybe a couple times a month and then we have a third group they're they're kind of the group that has graduated from us they don't really need us anymore but maybe a kid needs a physical to be on the soccer team or a kid needs to go sign up for college and wants um, someone to go with or whatever those kind of one-off things are. They've become part of the family. Right. So you're the safe
0: space to go ask that help. But we also celebrate some of those things when they become a citizen. Yes. Right? And yep. we've helped them with the paperwork, but yep. then then uh, they become that citizen and, and we go and, and cheer them on and celebrate
1: yeah absolutely we had nine people become citizens last year and um it's hard it is we're working with a family right now that has um has children who are citizens but we're trying to get the documentation to bat and it's hard like we haven't figured out how to make that all happen without paying a whole lot of money so that's the other thing i want to say is that um, working with refugees, sometimes things take a very long time, and patience can be pretty difficult, um, but in the end, when things like citizenship ceremonies or driver's licenses or new jobs happen, babies
0: are born, babies
1: are born healthy and mom is healthy, there's just really nothing better.
0: Indeed. I'm grateful that you showed up in my office. I am, too. I'm so thankful for you. Thanks, everyone. Um, thanks, Anne, for coming and joining. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast is provided by KALAFM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker. It is produced by Ann Garton, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University.